1: Different employees have different needs at different times. And so, to me, empathy is meeting them where they are. But I do think that that hybrid model, if it's done well, talent management can become limitless or unrestrained in terms of geographic limitations.
2: Hello, I'm Stephanie Parry. I'm an executive coach and organization consultant based in Paris. Welcome to Where Do We Go From Here?, my podcast in which I talk with different leaders about their learning from the current crisis and how they believe organizations can move forward. I strongly believe that there's no going back to normal and so I'm committed to helping leaders and organizations learn and move forward. Joining me in each podcast will be a different guest bringing a particular point of view and expertise And together in conversation, we'll explore this question, where do we go from here? Of course, we won't have all the answers, but I think you'll find the conversations interesting and hopefully there'll be some food for thought as you think about your own organization and your own role as a leader. Joining me today is Joe Gibbons, based in Boston in the USA. I've known Joe for over 20 years. He's a highly valued colleague and he's a specialist in leadership and organization development. I'm interested in talking with Joe because I want to hear about how leaders that he's come across are facing the crisis and what he observes to be good leadership behavior. Hi, Joe. Thank you for joining my podcast today. And I think the best thing is to ask you to introduce yourself.
1: Well, hello, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to join you. We've obviously known each other for 20 years. I have about 25 plus years experience in the field of leadership and organizational development. My most recent position in that regard was the global head of organization development and effectiveness for IBM.
2: And whilst it's called, where do we go from here? I think a a good starting place is where have we been? Because in the 20 years we've known each other, we've certainly seen several crises from post-9-11, through to the financial crisis, through to the wave of terrorism in Europe. So I'm curious to to hear from you what you have learned from those crises that you've been applying during this time.
1: The whole pandemic has touched everyone. While the issue may be new and different, the way a leader approaches it, I think, can be very similar to what's worked in the past. And so I think the first thing a good leader does is acknowledge that we have a problem and then solicit from others, what are their concerns with your team or on individual one-on-one conversations? Certainly, I think within the context of COVID-19, the IBM really acknowledged this is a family situation as well as a professional situation to deal with and, and made it very clear that put your family first put yourself first. This is unprecedented. And we need to make sure that you are feeling safe, that you're supported by the company, and that you can do what you need to do for your family and still keep your job and be productive.
2: So Joe, that's really interesting, because I'm thinking back to 9-11, which was one of the crises that you and I have both been leaders in, in big organizations. And I'm wondering if there's anything from that crisis that who have influenced this crisis, specifically around families and safety. One of the things that I've been using quite a lot this year with clients since COVID struck is good old Maslow's hierarchy of needs. How many of us as individuals and as all organizations have gone right back down to that basic security, safety, the, the fundamental.
1: Yes, and I think today, and I think it's more than just the word, is psychological safety so it's giving people the space and time and and the transparency to talk about what's frightening them what they need their leader or their peers to help them with to really reach out for help and i think from the classic american i'm independent i don't need any help kind of uh, psyche And to get through a crisis like we're going through now, people have to let their guard down. And I think leaders should encourage that because then those individuals, along with their team members or one-on-one with their manager, can brainstorm ideas together, come up with possible solutions and scenarios that can be helpful. And frankly, as we've often said, out of difficulty comes innovation. So I think you can come up with some really creative ideas for how work gets done And still address the personal issues. I'll give you an example. I was actually uh, looking to help with the diversity work, which, on top of everything else, we have the racial inequity situation in the world. I was able to do in an hour get the global diversity people together and get the major themes using technology, which I ordinarily never would have done. I would have individual calls, I would have traveled, I would have done some kind of in person exercise.
2: I just want to sort of just wind the conversation back a bit to what you were saying about psychological safety Mm -hmm. and asking for help. We've been talking about psychological safety for some time, but I think that now is the time where it's more visible and more relevant than before, and that companies seem to be really embracing that and addressing that. I was reading about IKEA, who have done some things very quickly to address everything that's been happening with with the worldwide pandemic one of which was putting in place an employee assistance program Uh, so that reminded me of employee assistance programs that have been around for ages but may seem to have got lost in the mix of different things that companies offer but they're sort of having a resurgence again to to really offer support to employees that that That's objective and neutral and outside the company.
1: I couldn't agree more. In fact, the whole notion of wellness in general, I think has really come to the surface, but mental health is no longer taboo to talk Mm -hmm. about. And so, you know, whether it's an individual or a leader being vulnerable and and being authentic about what they're grappling with, I think, and the company encouraging that really creates that psychological safety. And then having the resources to recommend for them.
2: And in that report that we've both been reading, they actually talk about in the future having a chief well-being officer, which really struck me because that's a long way from organization life that we've known in the past 20 years. How do leaders show that vulnerability and talk about their mental health? Because if they can't do it, then how will other people be following them? So -hmm. it seems to me that to be authentic, they need to be able to talk about their own mental health and their own psychological well-being. Have you come across a leader who's done that really well? I'll give
1: a recent example where I saw a leader who, in staff meetings, would kind of always open up with a story. And we both know how powerful storytelling is. And he would talk about, within his own family, how his daughter was in tears because she couldn't go back to New York City and, and be with her boyfriend and how his son was completely closing down and not talking to anyone. And his wife was expressing herself through art because that's what she did. And here I am stuck in the middle trying to navigate all of this and play super dad. And I don't know if I'm saying the right thing at the right time or whether I should just let them be, but you know this is what I'm grappling with. And then it opened up for the team to be much more open about, our, you know, what we were facing, what scenarios and situations. And another example has to do with racial inequity. When George Floyd died, I was on an early morning global call and the leader who was running it before we even launched into the agenda said, you know, I really want to acknowledge what's going on. And I'd be remiss if I didn't do that in terms of what's happening in the U.S. and happening outside the U.S. And he said, I'm not from the U.S. I will say, well, this is a terrible situation we will find our way out of it we will do the right thing and i come from a country where personal freedoms are not valued and he said and where uh, people live you know in, in a much more closed environment they can't express their concerns they can't express their displeasure and freedom of speech is not valued so i'm proud to live in the u.s and to be a citizen and i just want to acknowledge we will get through this together it didn't take much longer than my what i said here but it showed how authentic and how somewhat vulnerable he was being. And then some of the folks uh, in particular, some of the, the black HR participants on the call came forward and, and they they were nearly in tears because they were really touched that he acknowledged it. So mm-hmm. those kinds of things can really mean a lot without taking a lot of time.
2: I think that can be very powerful for leaders to express their truth and inspire others. And the other is, I love that phrasing of it would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge this and speak about it, which then enables other people to, to acknowledge that too. And we are living through many difficult things at the, at the moment. And so I think this is work that leaders have to do <laughs> to show their vulnerability, to acknowledge what's going on. And this will make leaders that much stronger. And,
1: more credible. I agree. And I think it also leads to motivation for their teams because once they've laid that foundation, opened up that line of dialogue, and frankly, you you can sort of clear the air of what typically would have been hanging in the back of someone's mind and inhibit their ability to be creative, to be motivated and bring their full self to work, to use that expression.
2: You and I were in a call recently with some um, senior HR leaders from major global corporations. And some of them were saying that that's what leaders are lacking at the moment, that some of the leaders that they see who are struggling are lacking empathy.
1: I agree. And, you know, a part of it, I think, is different employees have different needs at different times. And so to me, empathy is meeting them where they are. And so some employees might have a higher level of resilience. And if that's the case, those employees may need a lighter touch.
2: And you just reminded me um, of an example I have of a client who was relatively new to a a job as the lockdown hit. And he was in Zoom calls constantly throughout the day and actually asked his manager if they could just set 15 minutes a, a day aside so he could just check in to recalibrate so he actually took that initiative with his manager and she was really responsive to that and they they set aside this this time so they were virtually checking in with each other
1: couldn't agree more in fact it was interesting as we were looking at racial inequity and what leaders could do there was sort of a paucity of ideas initially because it was you know really much more um, delicate Situation and people may have not faced it directly before. And the idea would be to give them some talking points so that they could check in with their employees who were more affected by it in yeah. an authentic way. And so, you know, they kind of had the ability to bridge those conversations without feeling awkward and inauthentic. And it actually worked really well. There's a it was a whole series of solutions that wrapped underneath that work. I guess in a word I would say it might have to do with resilience and giving people the ability to adapt. And and we hear that all the time. And I don't need to use it in a trite way, but I think the most resilient people are the ones that can flex to change, take what they've learned, which is exactly where we started our conversation, and apply it to the next situation that's as challenging or more challenging.
2: So here's the thing. I wonder if sometimes the word resilience is a block for people, that they see it as being stoic, and holding things in, shutting up, having to get on, not make a fuss. Maybe it's a sort of stiff upper lip British thing. Somehow I wish there was another word that describes what we mean by resilience, because I just fear that some people might do exactly the opposite of what's intended. We're talking about good things like being vulnerable, psychological safety, mental health, all those things that are really safe and healthy things to do. And I fear that resilience may encourage some people to withdraw and think, oh, I've got to do this on my own. I better not speak out.
1: Oh, I agree. I think if taken to the extreme, like anything, people might look at it like get on with it. Yeah. You know, just keep a stiff upper lip, as you mentioned, where to me, it's about helping them to be adaptable and understand that it's okay to find time where you need to rest catch your breath, focus on what's important, focus on what you can achieve versus what you can't achieve. Let them know that it's okay to ask for help or to ask others how you can help them.
2: I wanted to remind you of just after the financial crisis, the company you were working with then in 2008, the CEO at the time seemed to me a pretty good role model of well-being and taking care of himself and employees.
1: So I was in medical technology and the CEO was new to the role, very empathetic in terms of what it meant to have work-life balance. And so we were at the time doing a lot of travel and there'd be um, quarterly leadership team meetings that I would orchestrate with him. He always made a point of saying, I don't want anyone traveling on the weekend. I want to make sure that we start on a half day on Tuesdays so that no matter where in the world you're coming from, you can travel on Monday or even same-day travel Tuesday. Then we'd have a full day on Wednesday and a half-day on Thursday that then allowed time to travel back without cutting into family time on the weekends either way. And as a father of three, I'm sure he understood that well, and he took that forward. And people really appreciated that. It really shows his empathy and, and compassion. The other thing that he did in that financial crisis to this day resonates with me. Companies typically protect research and development. So you never see R&D dollars being slashed in difficult times because that's your pipeline of products or services. In, In his mind, the same was true of learning and development. And so we had several million dollars put in place Geared primarily at high potentials, so it was, it was a selective investment in the people that would drive the future of the company. And he said, "We're going to treat R and D like we treat R and D, and we're not going to touch those monies. We'll continue to invest, we'll continue to run those programs, and invest in those individuals." Which again was music to my ears, since that was my role.
2: <laughs> oh, that is such a rare thing to happen because I would say of the four major companies I've worked in, every time a crisis hit nothing like the, the scale that we're facing now, but each time learning and development, talent management were were cancelled. I think it takes away hope when that happens. So I think the person you're talking about had that vision and foresight of just how important it is to continue to allow people to learn and develop and, and to grow. One of the things that has been on my mind is how do we continue to develop, I believe we've got potential at every stage of our lives. So I think what we're seeing is sort of the emergence of hybrid practices. We're really moving to a hybrid model where there will be some face-to-face work. We're seeing a bit of it now. Also, we're developing a whole load of virtual practices, which seems to me would be shame if we were just to drop them all when the pandemic is finally finished. And this is really in the spirit of where do we go from here, the title of this podcast, because what can we take that we're learning now and use going forward, just like we've taken things from previous crises and integrated them into our organisational habits. So what is it that is really working for us now that we want to keep in this hybrid version that I think we're developing?
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think one thing that we'll see is while things may return to normal, whatever that is, and whenever that is, the use of you know flying on jets and, and travel for the sake of building relationships will probably not ever be the same. And you know, you couple that with the fact that people are thinking about the carbon footprint and thinking green, and it's just a responsible thing to not travel as frequently. I think it's also respectful of work-life balance for your employee base. But I do think that that hybrid model, if it's done well, the talent management can become limitless or unrestrained in terms of geographic limitations. You now can spend valuable time regardless of where someone sits in the world. And so from that perspective, and I think we both know having worked for US-based global companies, there's often that sort of west to east thought process. And I think that helps to limit that. Because then you can really say, rather than put someone from Europe or from the US in charge of, let's say, a new Asia office, I'm going to visit virtually that talent in Asia and take a chance on that individual who is already in-house, is already a known quantity, may not have 20% of what we're looking for, but has 80%, mm-hmm. and that's enough to you know, mm-hmm. take that risk and give them the right support that they need to be successful.
2: As we bring the conversation to a close, in every podcast, I'm asking my guests, where do we go from here? Take what you've
1: learned. Don't be afraid to apply it, but be transparent about what you know and what you don't know. And I think a good leader always does that. So then you can enroll your peers, your team in helping to come up with solutions that are going to be probably even better than you ever would have imagined before the difficulty struck. And just to extend that a bit, sort of all under the heading of transparency, I guess, would be take care of yourself, take care of your family, take the time that you need, and be upfront with management about what you need to be successful, given the current situation.
2: That's great, Joe. Thank you so much.
1: You are very welcome. This was a pleasure, Stephanie.
2: Thank you for listening to my podcast. Where do we go from here? I'm Stephanie Parry. And if you want to find out more about my work, please go to wwwstephanie This podcast has been produced by Hattie Moyer at storyhunter.co.uk. And if you've got this far, you'd probably like to know that the music was written by Jean-Pierre Clowareg, my husband, and interpreted by my stepdaughter, Julie Clowareg. Where Do We Go From Here? Available wherever you get your podcasts.